0: Liz Brunig, welcome back to our low-quality podcast on politics and the news of the day. I'm here with my husband, Matt Brunig. Hello. And I'm heavily medicated. I have a cold right now, um, so things could get a little trippy. She's okay. Um, I'm okay, though. So today we're talking about, uh, I I asked my Twitter following for requests, and um, I realized after I said taking podcast requests that people thought I was asking for podcast recommendations. But then, and so then, people were recommending their podcasts, and they were being very helpful. And so I couldn't say that's not what I meant. I felt really bad.
1: I've got enough podcasts already.
0: Yeah, I know that you do. Um, But so the bit that I couldn't, I couldn't then say, well, actually, what I meant is, you know, ideas, things that you would like to hear discussed. Um, But a a few people did see what I had intended, and they said, "Talk about the sex redistribution guy."
1: They did, yeah. That's my understanding. I didn't read the thread, but that's what you've told me, and I believe you.
0: Thank you. Uh, Did you read the sex redistribution guy's article? You want to give some
1: context? Robin Hanson? I didn't read his article. I read his tweet. I guess I should have read the article for this. Good
0: job, Matt.
1: I read the thread. Really
0: putting in effort here.
1: I didn't know there was an article, actually. I thought it was just a tweet. Uh, What does the article say? You read it.
0: I think it basically says the same thing the tweet said
1: honestly. Yeah, a lot of things can be summed up in a tweet. People fleshing out, they put 800 words on a tweet and you know, I get why it's done professionally, but you know, waste a lot of time.
0: Basically, he argues, so this all comes in the context of a terrorist attack in Toronto where the um, assailant seems to have been motivated by taking part in the online incel community, which is short for involuntarily celibate. Um, so you have people who are voluntarily celibate, you know, people take religious orders and so on and so forth, and you have people who are involuntarily celibate, who just can't uh, seem to get you know, relationships, sexual relationships going. And, uh, and so he appears to have been part of this community of sort of frustrated young men who talk online about their, their feelings. Uh, and and that, that sort of sparked a discussion, and then Robin Hanson entered the fray with, well, perhaps people who care about e- income inequality and wealth inequality, other, you know, forms of material inequality should care more about sex inequality. And we should, uh, we should look at something called sex redistribution, which appears to have just been a piece of stray rhetoric to me.
1: Yeah, I actually didn't even see that phrase until, and except in uh, Ross Douthat's op-ed piece. Um, I didn't. I didn't realize that that was a phrase he had used, uh, but I had seen the equivalence to other uh, uh, quantities that can be distributed unequally.
0: See, you have a sort of esoteric read on the origins of the, the many category errors that led to the discussion of a sex redistribution.
1: Yeah, I think it's important. I, you know, if you want to understand why you know libertarians kind of veer off into this strange.
0: And Hanson is a libertarian.
1: Hanson's a libertarian, and, and you know, uh, many years ago I would uh, I wrote about libertarians a lot and libertarian philosophy. I should say I did my you know my my capstone undergrad paper on on Nozick and libertarian theories of property I was very very fascinated by, by those theories and so that kind of informs a little bit of my understanding of where um, libertarians are coming from and if you've ever been online and sort of viewed the like online libertarians it's really not uncommon at all for them to say things like taxation is equivalent to uh, you know rape or equivalent to you know theft uh, to say things like trespass is like punching someone in the face and if you kind of drill down sort of the whole libertarian move the, the the mistaken move that I think underlies their ability to even go there mentally is the way a lot of libertarian theory works is they take as a given, the general intuition people have that it's wrong to violate other people's bodies. It's wrong to like hit someone. It's wrong to molest someone. It's, you know, it's, you know, keep to yourself, keep your hands to yourself, that sort of thing. And then what they try to do is they try to extend your person into non-person things. So they try to say like, this land is sort of like my body and like Locke gives the most explicit telling of this, where he's like, you're mixing your labor into the land. Your body is being poured into the land, into what you're producing. And there's a lot of effort to just try to borrow from that intuition that we have that it's wrong to violate people's body, and somehow extend that to non-body things in the world. That's like the whole move. And so for them after they've kind of convinced themselves of this rather ridiculous idea that like land becomes an extension of your body after they've convinced themselves of that, that it's very easy for them to then turn around and say, well, wait a minute, if you think that uh, material resources should be distributed differently than I think they should, then you're basically saying you think it's okay to violate someone's body because, after all, material resources are my body. They're an extension of my person. And so, like, we're way off into crazy land at that point because their whole premise that non-person things are sort of extensions of an individual's person is is, is just clearly incorrect.
0: Yeah, I, uh, in pulling back a little bit, I, I remember after uh, my debate with Brian Kaplan, do you remember that, when I debated socialism against libertarianism at LibertyCon?
1: I do remember that. It was a good debate.
0: Uh, thank you. Um... Did you rule that I had, would, would you have voted me up there? Or?
1: You know, I'd say both teams played hard. That's how I would judge that.
0: Okay, well, that's a little bit dispiriting. Uh, but I remembered afterwards, we went into a, like, a, like a conference room to take questions from the crowd uh, that, that we hadn't had time for on stage. And, uh, and the kids, uh, someone asked a question about, uh, about rape, and, and Professor Kaplan said that it was, you know, essentially a kind of property crime
1: that 's very common that 's very common, you know, because in some ways, after they have have extended their person onto property items, they then turn around and say everything is property, so like the initial intuition people have about how it 's wrong to invade someone else 's body just gets read as property because after all uh, i've i 've basically you know it 's like i 've extended. Bodily autonomy, to use that phrase, onto non person things, and then called that property. And so now I can just turn around and call my bodily autonomy also property. And so, like, they, they complete the circle, and now everything's property, and then they, that, that's sort of how they proceed. And that, I think, is the uh, basis and, and groundwork of how you get into these very bizarre. Positions where isn't distributing income differently the same thing as distributing sex differently, even though one involves a body and one does not involve a body?
0: Right, I mean, and and you you can see historically, to kind of pull back a little bit to intellectual history, the big change this makes. And the the Enlightenment rolls around, and you start having Lockean theories uh, of of property and self that kind of seamlessly blur the person and the things that they own into a single unit. So the image you get of a person basically winds up being that of a kind of uh, ghost that is controlling this machine which it owns. It, it's, uh, it owns its own capital uh, in that your spirit or your mind or whatever is just sort of sitting there piloting this bodily craft that it has. And, uh, and then it, it admixtures itself with the world and starts gaining uh, self-like entities in its other properties. And this actually, as strange as it is, and as bizarre as it is, becomes one of the founding myths of capitalism.
1: Oh absolutely and uh, the way you describe it is very is a very like sci-fi aspect to it it's like you know i'm i'm picking up parts of the world and sucking them into my overall you know kingdom of under the, the penumbra was, of
0: my rights right they're under of me my personal rights
1: yeah and as i acquire more there's now my body is just getting bigger and my machine is just getting bigger um, well, this is the yeah. point that
0: Mark Fisher makes really well, the weird, the eerie, and that capitalism's a little creepy. I mean, there's this, there's a dark magic about it where things multiply and grow and gain in an almost cancerous way, in an out-of-control way uh, that's hard to even fully understand from the perspective of a layman. Um, and this... this Story about how property begins to blend with the personal rights of the individual, and gain its own primacy in society, just like a person. You know, you see it pop up in a lot of different ways. One of them is the corporate personhood conversation that we're having all the time. Uh, but it is—it's eerie. It's—it's it's sort of weird.
1: Yeah, everything gets turned on its head, and the, the yeah, I mean, the fundamental principles become property as opposed to property being a contingent conclusion you reach based on fundamental principles right well, i have these principles and they seem to suggest we should have some kind of property system no 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 the property system is now the axiom and even things like why you shouldn't uh, be you know sexually assaulted is derivative of property of
0: a property right yeah as right.
1: opposed to being like Oh no! We reason that property is sort of like your body. It's like no, 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 no. We reason your body is sort of like property now. Like yeah. the 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 creation has become the the you know the master. Uh, right. So. Property
0: rises into the centerpiece uh, of moral reasoning, and uh, and this displaces all of the ways of thinking about sort of the human beings of humanist ways of thinking about morality with the person as this sort of very special thing at the center of it and the world emanating out from around that. Now you have property rights uh, and and everything else becomes derivative of that. Um, and so I guess in, in Hansen's view, it's hard to distinguish uh, sex from income, right? I mean,
1: uh, he, he sort of is thinking in terms of utils, isn't he? Well, he might be thinking in terms of utils, but also I think he thinks that income redistribution, quote-unquote, is a a form of bodily violation, equivalent to it. You know, you've come and you've you've taken a piece of me and given it to someone else, which is not unlike, you know, you can analogize that to sex or rape, which they do, right? So so
0: some people took Hanson as legitimately proposing a kind of sex redistribution you seem to think he was more making a provocation about income
1: redistribution uh yeah yeah that's my read i don't know i don't know him personally but that's ex- i mean based on my you know history of following libertarian stuff on the internet for years and years and years that's what it most fits into is a reductio where you're like, well if you're saying that we can distribute income differently than than laissez faire capitalism, if you're saying you can take what's mine and give to someone else, then why can't I take your body and have sex with it? And it's like that's the kind of stuff that, you know, if you go onto like the the libertarian YouTubers or like reddit back in the day i don't know what reddit's like anymore i haven't been on there in years and years yeah i mean you you can see that all the time and it's not that they're actually proposing that they're just trying to get you to go no that's clearly bad and then they go well if that's bad then why is uh, why is income redistribution bad Hmm, checkmate like that's that seems like where it's headed
0: yeah he didn't have any concrete uh, sex redistribution policies that I recall, he was just saying in his post that on the macro level there are policies that could make sex more widely available. Um, which I suppose is the case, which kind of leads us into the commodification piece of this.
1: Yeah, so you had a more, you had an interesting take about kind of the interplay between I don't know, the, the, the fierceness of the counter-reaction, or I guess just the reaction, um, and the tension between that and some views about libertinism and you know that sort of stuff and so I think that's a kind of interesting you know
0: yeah well I think libertinism is very rare and I think it always has been um, I think it's a hard way to live uh society is still not very accommodating of it um however how, however the, uh, the the Hefnerian age um uh, might have inclined uh I mean, the issue with the, you know, so one of the responses was uh, (coughs) sex isn't a commodity, you can't redistribute it. Well, actually, we're kind of at a crossroads culturally on whether or not sex is a commodity. And we're we're at a crossroads as to whether or not a lot of things are a commodity. And I I think you can see that really clearly in the sort of pay me for my emotional labor thing that flares up now and then, which seems to hold that, well, We live in a culture where everything is, commodifi- it is commodified to some degree or another in the sense that everything uh, can be exchanged at a price for a thing that performs the same function, sort of interchangeable. Uh, and, and so therefore, you know, my emotional labor, it's a service I pay you, you know, it's a service I give you like anyone else could give you that service, sort of like when we chit chat or I tell you about um, my day or something, now that's a service that you're performing for me listening in your case, um,
1: not a very good one. I think I do a good job.
0: You do I always am trying to tell you how I feel and then you try to give me a solution to the problem, but I already know what to do.
1: Well, if you know what to do, then no, well, there's not, really nothing no, to discuss, no, there, is there? No,
0: that's not the case. Uh, I would never pay you. That's terrible emotional labor. You should, that, That's an awful emotional labor service. But uh, I think that... My answer there has always been that you should resist that commodification; that you shouldn't be trying to charge people for emotional labor, and you should refuse to accept the market logic that deeply into your emotional life. Well,
1: well even aside from the market thing, I mean, isn't isn't there a point that you've made in like some of your prior writing that it, it's even before you even get to the question of whether it can be commodified or sold, there is a prior question of. You know, how how important is it that there are these kind of contradictory um, threads that go on right now in kind of contemporary liberalism that are still hanging on to this idea, almost of a kind of free love, like uh, sexual liberation Well, well yeah, notion. liberalism
0: can never, it, it has problems dealing with like numinous stuff you know, and so, uh, because it's rationalizing. And so, you have like two stories about sex itself that are mutually exclusive, they exist in liberalism. One of them is, that sex is just like any other uh... sort of engagement you have with a person like shaking hands high-fiving playing a game of tennis you know something you need another person just to, to do productively it's just like that and um, it doesn't differ and that anything that makes you think it differs you just superimpose right it has to do with culture or it has to do with your particular disposition but there's nothing inherent about it um, and then the other position is not so well defined, and it's, it's probably got a lot more historical baggage, but it's that, no, there is something sort of different and specific about sex. Um, that makes it a very unique kind of exchange or engagement, however you want to think about it. And, uh, and that, that gives it a special place in moral reasoning, right? That you can't apply the exact same moral reasoning, contractual or otherwise, it applies to a game of tennis or a transaction in the market to sex because it's just a, a different kind of thing. And then, and then there's the third way that kind of threads the needle and says, well, sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Uh, sometimes it's a commodity and sometimes it's not.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it, and it seems like, you know, I, this is a little bit more far afield from, from, you know, the stuff that I tend to focus on, but I've read a lot of your writing on it, and, and it's kind of made me think, you know, in the same way that I try to figure out what's going on at the core of libertarian thought, like what's motivating, that sort of stuff, it seems like, you know, basically there's, you have this idea of, of sex being on a pedestal, right? and if you put it on a pedestal, it is the putting of it on a pedestal that is, has been the source of so much, you know, oppression yeah. and patriarchal control and that sort of thing. It's so important that we have to have massive regulation of people's bodies and who they can, yeah. you know, hang out with and all the rest of it. Um and so there's a one reaction to that. It's just like, well, take it off the pedestal. It's nothing. It's I mean, it's just like hanging out. It's just whatever. Um, and that, that solves that problem. But then on the flip side, of course, you know, the, the tension is, well, you know, it's actually quite... Painful in many cases to like even things that are maybe, to feel
0: pressured. Yeah, even
1: things that know. are sort of nominally consensual, where it's like, oh, that person they He's
0: guilted or or,
1: or even like just that. like, oh, that person made them made made me feel like they they wanted like a long term relationship but and they then they, they quit right after and like
0: to be very destructive. Yeah,
1: it's like that's just an objective reality of how a lot of people experience that. Right, and so. Geez, what do we do? We don't want to put it on a pedestal because that provides the basis for a lot of human regulation that has been very oppressive. Um, but we also don't want to just like say it's nothing because people feel quite bad about a lot of right. you know aspects well, of it. Well, part so.
0: of I mean part of the story here that I think is important is that the the depedestalization of sex happened in a particularly odd way in America. So you have sex on a pedestal. You have this sort of Victorian uh, perspective on sex, which is not to say that all Victorians lived this way, but that this was the philosophy they would have purported to ascribe to, which is that you know it's a sort of sacral part of marriage, and uh, it's 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 very private, very personal, uh, very important, and uh, and especially um, fragile, you know, where women are concerned, uh, and so. The deregulation, you know, if you if you want to if you want to use those terms, that taking a taking sex off the pedestal in the United States the way it happened uh, through the you know you can, the feminist movement was part of it, but it was also the feminist movement was also sort of commandeered or, or cheered along by sort of the Hefner crowd, right? And and their perspective has this dual movement in it, which is yeah, uh, we're taking sex off the pedestal. You should be able to have uh, any kind of sex that you want, but also part of that is removing women from this kind of place of superior moral concern they've occupied. So women have henceforth been seen as the sort of better moral agents. You know, that that women are particularly moral and men are kind of rapscallions and women kind of have to regulate them. Everyone kind of comes to an agreement that that's a bad way to do things. But then the way that some people, and this is the kind of new libertines, the way they move forward with it is not, well, yeah, no, men can be moral people as well. It's not to say that men should also have, you know, carry moral responsibilities and regulate their behavior. It's to say, uh, yeah, well, women ain't hot shit anyway. You're not as big as you think you are. You're not as good as you think you are. So then the depedestalization of sex comes to involve a darker view of women in general and a, and a kind of malicious Approach, You know, put you in your place. You're not going to tell me what to do anymore, Mom. Uh, Yeah, we're equals, but that just means I'm taking a particularly predatory approach, where prior I might have been pressured into taking a somewhat more restrained approach. So that's just part of the complicated story of the sexual revolution, right? That it did come with a certain new misogyny and no no misogyny is brand new i mean we've tried them all out uh, over time but that's part of how it went down in america and so i think we're still living with this sort of aftermath of that double movement and uh and you see that unfold in sort of debates about affirmative consent and so forth
1: yeah yeah that sounds right um Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> no, I mean you're. You know, I have nothing to add because you're really. You, you know, you, you're really on top of that particular. Uh, you know, area. Um, so, Thanks. but yeah, I mean, so you know, so so there's that issue, and then like to return back briefly, I guess, to the commodification question. The that gets starts to get really confused. So I was reading a lot of the sort of counter takes and. And, you know, I kind of, my my competitive debate just sort of slotting of arguments and, you know, the way that my mind sorts through stuff, which is probably really unhealthy. Um, there were a lot of people who, like, I, I definitely agreed with that this whole thing was preposterous, but who nonetheless sort of presented arguments about commodities and stuff that really didn't make a whole lot of sense. So this
0: is just, this is part of Matt's personality that... Um Matt will not agree with you just because you come to the right conclusion. You actually have to make the right argument and, uh, and Matt will call people that he agrees with on bad arguments as readily as he will call people who he disagrees with on bad arguments uh, because, uh, as a doctor once told me, rigidity is at the core of the autistic mindset.
1: I don't think that's rigid at all. I think it's very flexible, very creative mentally. You know, what's really rigid is, you know, just relying on social cues and that sort of thing.
0: Is that that really really what's rigid?
1: That's what's rigid in my mind.
0: So you're really the free one.
1: I am a free thinker in the truest sense. I I have
0: to give you that in the truest sense. You absolutely are. I admire that you're skipping Mother's Day this year because you don't like the restaurant that my parents picked out.
1: Not the rest. I don't like restaurants. Period. I know. So that's not a knock on the particular restaurant. Um, You finally decided
0: to make your stand this Mother's
1: Day. Yeah. Well, the restaurant is also bad um it just takes so long god almighty i don't want to spend three hours in a restaurant you know maybe if we could order the entrees in advance and just have them ready you know on the table when we get there you just
0: walk in and sit down and
1: just want to go just man tuck on
0: in. Yeah. yeah i mean
1: or you know <laughs> something like that
0: i have to give your folks this it always took about 25 minutes to meet with your parents and,
1: uh. That's what a normal meal takes That is absolutely what a normal meal takes In <laughs> it's, it's, real America social
0: occasions social. In
1: real America my You parents, go to the Chili's You're in and out in 35-40 minutes you're not, It's not a 4 hour occasion Oh I'm having call. 5 courses uh, No I don't want that much Just give me my I, No appetizers Give me my entree, give me my water We're going to go You know.
0: I like apps though
1: Too expensive.
0: You're too expensive.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, well, so Matt is the freest man in America, in other words, and if you argue the wrong thing but you come to the right conclusion, you're still wrong. Uh, And so that's a good preface for how Matt started slotting all of these commodification arguments.
1: Yes, so there was one tweet from a particularly prominent person. I'm not going to name anyone, but it went like this. Okay. So here's the issue, right? So you think about Robin Hanson's thing, and he's basically, you know, implicitly saying that you can kind of like slot access to bodies in the same place as you can access to income, even though, you know, we just went over all that. And so, you know, it starts with, you know, women are not commodities. Okay, that makes sense. Clear, clear. And then it goes, sex is not a commodity. And right away, I'm like, ooh, I don't know. I mean, I can see someone saying sex should not be a commodity. But but as a descriptive matter. As a descriptive matter, clearly people sell sex. Um, So it is a commodity and can be a commodity, um, you know, for better or worse. And then to throw it all out and just spin my brain, the third thing was sex workers are not commodities. And I'm like, what on earth? Like, obviously sex workers are not commodities because you can't buy and sell... Persons. Persons. That's called slavery. Right. But the implicit nature of that statement is that they're pro-sex work, right? Which right. is certainly the like, mainstream position on the left these days... But if you're pro-sex work, then you also have to think it's okay that sex is a commodity, or at
0: least descriptively true.
1: That it's at least true. Yeah, you might. I mean, people pro-sex work are, for a variety of reasons. Right, right, like right. certainly, like decriminalization. You know, in terms of harm reduction and all. Right. Like, but then there are some who who would think, no, no, no. This is like it's a fine normal job. You know. And so if that's your position, you know, it has to be that it's okay for sex to be a commodity. So what, what are we doing? Are we, like, what's the position here? Um, is it okay to buy and sell it or is it not okay to buy and sell it? Um, and that, that, you know, it just starts to scramble the brain. And then there was another tweet that was sort of like, you know, if you're saying people have a right to sex, then that's like saying, you know, you have a right to, to someone's body or something like that, right? And, you know, a medium I'm like, that's the Rand Paul argument against the right to health care. slavery. If you've ever seen that nutty YouTube video, he's like, Are you a, a right to health care, if you think about it, that means you can go to a doctor and force them to give someone medical care. That's slavery. That's slavery, and I'm against it. Like, that's what his YouTube video about it says. But, of course, normal people, when they're proposing a right to health care it's not like conscripting doctors into you know slavery it's well, we'll set up a system where people have you know money or vouchers or access- you know one way or another, they can go and get their health care. Doctors are not compelled to provide it but you know they get paid if they do and you know people want to get paid and so people you know voluntarily choose to be doctors and that sort of thing and so like, well, you could, I mean, if you think about it logically, you could see a similar situation in the sort of sex work world where, well, if you just made sure everyone had adequate access to income and you made it to where sex work was widely, you know, was, was legalized and, and was the services were widely available, then, you know, You wouldn't have to force anyone into anything just through normal market transactions whether you're using vouchers or money or whatever most people would be able to buy sex and you you could then declare we have you know satisfied the right to sex, you know you could do that in the same way that you do with health care, you know if you have a universal health care system that doesn't involve any slavery or compulsion or anything like that. I'm not saying that's a good idea, but I don't see how the art where's the argument coming from? How does this even work? I mean you know the whole thing it, you know the upshot of it is saying that it, it's that anyone who has a right that saying anyone who has a right to a commodity is the same thing as saying there's slavery on the other end. A right to water means a right to enslave water workers, you know, a right to food means a right to enslave um, agricultural workers, etc., etc. It's the same, it would be the same point and that's what libertarians say, but that's not our position and so how does this fit into our framework and then my brain just starts, you know, short circuiting. There's a lot of intermixing of
0: prescriptive and descriptive language a lot of the confusion comes from the fact that rights talk is actually very unclear and, and very kind of cloudy, uh, which is something we don't reckon with very often because we're a liberal society and so rights talk makes up a huge part of our discourse. You know, The job guarantee thing has also, it's been put forth as a claim to a right.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, there are definitely people who advocate it. Just because you can enslave a boss. I wouldn't say on the top level, but on the sort of medium tier of, like, Twitter advocates who are really enamored with the idea of, like, what if we call it a right? Could you imagine if we declared that work was a right? Huh. And then what was funny is in one of the the exchanges I had with someone on this, they were like, oh, you just want to achieve full employment, but you don't want to declare it a right? It's like, like, oh, we don't need to declare that right to counsel is a right because we could just sort of like make it to where everyone has counsel. And I was like this is a worst argument for you because we have declared in our constitution that right to counsel is a right as interpreted by the Supreme Court and nobody actually gets it. If you're like an indigent defendant, you get a public defender who has 400 cases and who just plea bargains your stuff out. Like, we declared it was a right and people don't even have it. Like, the declaration clearly doesn't get it for you. It's got to do something more, you know, to get there.
0: The, The relationship between rights and duties... Uh, is very unclear in liberal societies because all of the liberal writers use rights talk, but they all use it differently. And we inherit every single thread of that tapestry. So you say, oh, I've got a right to be here. Well, I don't know do i have like an inalienable inherent right to be exactly where i am at this time always you know all that starts splitting into a lot of different qualifications and and you have rights being used colloquially and then you have rights being used in you know a more straightforwardly legal sense but that is sort of the that is the the apex of liberal discourse is to accomplish that something is a right
1: yeah just enumerate a list of rights that you know yeah. keep putting some more rights on that list
0: but yet, yet it's never really totally
1: clear what that means on the ground and yeah i mean you know in any given case i mean for a lot of them it's like it, it it's a right is like a target Yeah, you know like a right to healthcare means that we as a society need to target everyone who wants healthcare can get it but that you know requires a lot of different things not only does it require people be able to buy healthcare or that you have a system where you know you subsidize it so that it's free, but now, but then you also got to figure out. Okay, we got people in really remote parts of the country. What are we going to do with them? Yeah. Do we need to put a rural, Do we need to fund a rural hospital? Some places it's not even possible to really have a rural hospital. So now maybe we need to set up a telemedicine regime. Yeah. Do we, like there's a ton of stuff you got to do to kind of actualize that goal right. that anyone who's sick can see a doctor. And declaring it a right doesn't do any of those things, you know.
0: Right, right. And and and, and complicating matters even further is that rights talk is ancient. It's a very, very ancient concept, but it's morphed in certain ways over time that uh, aren't always clear or easy to follow. And it's also one of those forms of talk that you know, it speaks to people on a very deep level and um, that usually means that you're pretty alienated from whatever it is if it's it's kind of numinous in nature but there is an almost mythological aspect to Wright's talk where it, it, it imbues things with a kind of dignity um, just because of how it makes people feel about them and then you're, you know, usually you don't especially go for things like that.
1: Right. But, you know, in this case it's almost like we're kind of We're kind of out in left field, and and almost even the whole discourse is, because we're talking about now, like, what is a right to sex, what would that even mean, is it like a right to health care, blah, 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 and all of this, and all the discussion we've had, and all the discussion online, and the op-eds, and so on, they assume that because they're called incels, the thing that really perturbs them is they want sex. Right. And so you get into these discussions, it's like, how could you do it? Could you have, like, a universal system of brothels? Could you, what about robots? Could you, but, like, if anyone who's ever peered into this weird sub-community online realizes they don't want, they just, not, they just want, don't want abstract sex. It's like a whole different thing that they're really about. So, I mean, you've seen that.
0: Right. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the discussion... Kind of extending out from Hanson, and then and then going into the New York Times piece, kind of took for granted that 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 the incel community that they're reliable narrators of their own circumstances, um, and 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 to be to be fair, I'm sure that there are many of the uh, incel who recognize that that sex alone in the abstract is not the only thing that they're missing, right? That there are. Is a whole cascade of things that come with it, and and sometimes come before it. That you know, are this penumbra of things around sex and sexuality, that status, companionship, uh, a kind of answer to loneliness and isolation, a connection to society at large, kind of a way to hook into the big web of people that makes up society. You know, sex has a place there as a as a kind of binding agent. People form families and groups. Uh, and pairs, and, and I'm sure that a lot of people who feel cut off from that are, yeah, sort of frustrated on a biological level, but also frustrated in a, in a much more complicated sense, um, which in-cell kind of undersells.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's almost—I think it's almost even simpler than people are taking them on their face as reliable narrators. I think people are just looking at the label Incel and yeah. celibate and just being like, "I know what they're about," without having actually even looked to see what they write about and what they're you know thinking about and that sort of thing, which mostly to me does not seem to be about sex itself, I mean, most of these people, I assume, since they're almost all extremely online, know how to get sex online. I mean, it's not a not a particularly, like, big mystery. If that's all you want to do is get sex, you could buy it online, or at least you could until very recently. Um, what they're complaining about is, like, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm low status, but also more than that, it's just like, I wish I had a girlfriend. I want a girlfriend, you know, and a girlfriend who is, you know, who makes me look good. I don't want, like, a low status girlfriend like me. I want a high status girlfriend. That's, like, the key of it. The sex is, all like, almost incidental, it seems like, to me.
0: Yeah, I mean that seems to make sense. You see the kind of cast of characters that people refer to. They, you know, the the, the archetypes they discuss in the Incel uh, forums. The Stacy's are the sort of high status, sexually attractive women, and Chads are the high status, sexually attractive men. These are the sort of characters of like high school popular kids. And so it's very clear that it's not just sex in the abstract, like you're saying, this is a factor here that's status related. Uh, How you relate to other people and how having a partner allows you to relate to other people in the world is a really big factor here. And and I'm inclined to take people seriously when they say they're really unhappy. Uh, They may not have a solution in mind,
1: but yeah, no, I I yeah. yeah. I think it's yeah, I mean I I don't think it's wrong to say that they're unhappy. I think it's the question is what's going on and what's the correct way to diagnose this. I mean, to say it's sort of like the old uh, left, you know, grievance against sort of liberal fixations on mobility.
0: Yeah, yeah. You
1: know. Well, it's like, oh, we really need to make it easier for people to rise the ranks. So in this case, it'd be like, well, you know, if you're trying to address this from a kind of liberal opportunity perspective, you'd be like, what can we do to help incels get a better shot at getting Stacy's? (laughs) <laughs> it's like, well, but there's only a limited supply of Stacey's, and like you know, the, the left would be like, well, that doesn't work because you're going to run out of the Stacey's, yeah. and then there's still going to be other people who you know are incels because you know this, we're talking about a scarcity kind of status situation, mm-hmm. and. And, like, the real problem is society and and incels specifically need to uh, stop being so status-obsessed and, you know, trying to, like, score trophy girlfriends and, like, find people that they actually have connections with and that they can get along with and get companionship with and, you know, like... Like that's the sickness is the status competition, and that we need to we need to get rid of that. Well, the you know. status
0: competition, you know, certainly, and then and the the alienation and the isolation. I'm mean, very I'm very sympathetic with those claims. I think they exist. I think they're inherent to life under capitalism. And I think that uh, especially among young middle class men, you have, you have this tremendous sense of alienation. Don't know what to do. Don't know where to go. Don't really know what the rules of life are. And this gets mocked from time to time because it's uh, it's certainly you know, you know a first world problem, um, but it's a problem nonetheless, and it's something that I'm sure causes people quite a bit of psychic distress. Uh, and and I think that that is part of what's being expressed here, and it's been expressed sort of on and off in lots of different ways over the years. You know, the the this is just one ray through the prism of this sort of alienation and isolation in the middle class. Um, And that worries me a little bit. I mean, the middle class can be a source of a lot of weird political stuff if they get too upset and they boil too long. Um, Or they have been in the 20th century anyway. Um, So, I mean, I I think that ultimately the whole incel thing was a really weird debate and it was kind of a missed opportunity for a better discussion about why so many people feel isolated and what would actually remedy that uh, instead of sort of like government robot brothels or a a sex right on the Bill of Rights or some other crazy response like that.
1: Yeah it, it it's it was almost like one of the like a case where I'm like trying to to <laughs> where you're trying to like troll someone yeah. by taking them 100% literally yeah. uh but 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 people who don't normally do that yeah. <laughs> we had a whole debate like that yeah. like like a blog post I would have written like 6 years ago where I'm trying to like get someone mad um by 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 you know,
0: misinterpreting them uh, with literalism yeah i mean I have, <laughs> And I think it's because, at the end of the day, sex is just a weird quantity. And it's something that, you know, <laughs> it's the wilderness of the soul, right? It resists rationalization. And all of this time we've devoted as a liberal society to making everything quantifiable, known, measured, demystified, rational. Sex resists all that. And it's still something that is just kind of irresistibly numinous. And it is always going to incite these very, very volatile feelings. It's just one of those things.
1: Well, you could count sex events.
0: Sex events.
1: Yeah, you could tally sex events. What are you talking about? If you were trying to quantify it. No, no, no. I mean sex I mean, that's events, not, no, no, and no, then you could quantify. do like a genie no, of mean, sex I didn't, events. No, I didn't mean
0: quantify in a literal sense. You I, could do
1: like a P ninety no, no, to P no, no, no. ten, or a Palma.
0: It's hard to, you know, fully rationalize. It resists sort of clear, and and. Regulatory description Yeah I didn't mean that you can't
1: count You could count it though okay. That's all uh, I'm saying Just to make sure people realize that no, I recognize, I'll recognize I'll that you concede. can concede. You, you can count it And they do have sex surveys They don't I exactly I count no. sex events in those surveys But they'll ask things like Have you had sex? And how much do you have sex in a given I know week? They, and yeah,
0: I know you can quantify that, that stuff That sort of
1: thing um,
0: I was trying to close on like a global note That sort of uh, we're always going to have these very volatile and heated conversations because this is just a point that inside the network of liberalism where everything is derivative from property rights and rights talk makes up the majority of the reasoning and ideally this should all fit together in a straightforward, clear network of rational, interlocking rights and duties. Sex remains one of those areas that just resists very clear definition. It's something that remains extremely personal. It's something that uh, remains difficult to rationalize or fully describe in these sort of uh, pared down uh, scientific terms. It remains something that moves people in ways that are unpredictable, and um, you know, different people make of that what they will. Um, but you can count it.
1: You can count it. You definitely could with the right measures and and that sort of thing. So.
0: Thanks very much, guys.